Welcome to the Life Fellowship Ministries International Broadcast. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. Let's get into the word of the Lord this morning. I'm just going to talk to you a little bit about Psalm 23. Now, every one of you in this room, if you have been saved for very long, you know what this passage is. But let's just see if the Lord might say something new to us this morning in this, in this chapter. Amen? Let's go to the Lord and ask him to bless our time. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this moment. You've brought us here for a time such as this. To focus on you, to focus on your word. So, Lord, we pause and we... We ask that you would fill our hearts up with your words and in spite of my failures, Lord, in spite of my sin, that you would use me to speak your word to pliable and teachable hearts. So we open up our spiritual ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hands to take hold. In Jesus' name, amen. When you get into the Psalms, we have to remember that these, these things were written as songs. Okay, and so it's not, they weren't written to be read, they were written to be sung and heard. And if you ever get into music, I love music, I have a passion for music, I know Pastor Mark does as well, but if you get into music, a very good writer has the ability to paint a big picture with just a few words. And so this is a song that David wrote literally about his life. Now, you may not know that, but this is a song that he has written about his journey with the Lord, and he starts off in the very beginning speaking language that he would known as a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, right? I shall not want. Now, by the way, if you ever got that phrase down right there, that God is your true shepherd, you're not going to want for anything, that will change your life. Because see, what a good shepherd does is he leads the sheep into, into good pastures. He protects them. He sings over them. He provides for them. He, he does all the things that need to be done for them, and he gives them a place to belong to. And our good shepherd, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the God of gods has done that for us. That's a good place for an amen right there. I'm already preaching better than you're amening. This is true. So if we get that phrase down, that'll change your life. The Lord is my shepherd. I shouldn't want for anything. But every once in a while, he makes me to lie down. <laughs> Come on now. You ever been there when God makes you lie down? You know, it's like, and I go 100 miles an hour. I love moving. I'm a producer. I'm a mover. I go, I go, I go. And all of a sudden, God comes along and says, nope, it's time to rest. And I don't like that. It's like, I don't have time to lay down. I don't have time to rest. And it may have been something that God did in your life to say, no, you are going to rest in this process. But it's only when I acquiesce and I decide to lie down that I discover it's green pastures. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me at times to lie down. And then finally when I lie down, I discover it's green pastures. I look at this beautiful place we have here. And I think to lie down in the shade out there on a, on a breezy day in about a 70 degree weather would just be amazing. And that's what it's like sometimes when God says, just lie down and let me minister to you. And you finally do it and you're going, oh, I didn't even realize how much I needed this. He says, that's okay, now get up. <laughs> I, I just got laying down. No, get up. And then he leads me beside still waters for what reason? To restore my soul. 
How many of us are in this room right now that you need your soul restored? You're dry, you're broken, you're worn down. There's maybe dreams and things that have not come to pass. There's frustrations, there's disappointments. But the Lord can restore when we get into his waters. And, and I know I get there many times where he can, he, he can bring back what the enemy has taken away from you. Amen? And so, again, we may not want to get in. It's like, okay, David, now you need to get into these waters and let me restore you. Let me bring back what the enemy has taken away. Let me refresh you because I've got plans for you, and I'm going to need you fresh. I'm going to need you walking with me. I'm going to need you filled with my spirit and with my power. Just get into these waters. And I'm like, I don't have time for that. No, Lord. No. I may be dating myself here, but how many of you remember the Nest Tea Plunge commercials? Right? It's almost like that, where you finally hit and it's like, oh, I love this water. <laughs> when you finally get in it, and you did not even know how bad you needed it until you get in. Some of you are here and you need God to restore something that the enemy's taken away. You've been going through life on a regular basis and things have been okay, but deep down in your heart, you know things aren't exactly right. God says, let me restore that. Let me touch that. Come and get into my water. So the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters to restore my soul. And about the time you're in these waters and you feel like this is going good. I like this. I'm never going to leave now. He says, get up. Get out of there. And he begins to lead me down a path. Of righteousness for whose namesake? Oh, wait a minute. I'm fixing to walk down a path that isn't about me? I'm fixing to walk down a path that's about him? See, most of the time, our lives are lived all about us, guys. Come on. Right? You don't think you're selfish? Somebody takes a family po portrait, a family picture of you, and you look at the picture. Who do you look for first? And if your picture doesn't look good, guess what? The whole picture's got to go all over again, right? Right? I, I know. I know. Because we are selfish. But all of a sudden, David's saying, there was a moment in my life when I made a decision, I made a declaration that I was going to walk down this path of righteousness, and it wasn't going to be about me any longer. It was going to be about his name's sake. And when you make that decision, everything in your life shifts. But it's scary because you've never been down a path like this before. You don't recognize it because there's not trophies of you. There's not accolades of you. It's not even about you. All of a sudden, it's about him. And the path looks a little crooked. You're not sure where to place your feet at the time. And you just start thinking, this is kind of tough. And it's almost as if something inside of you begins to die. Come on now. This is where the apostle Paul said, I've died. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So it's that moment we go, Lord, I must decrease so you can increase. I must make a decision that my life is going to be lived for your glory and your glory alone. You see, guys, when we get saved, there's a moment when we say, Lord, come into my heart. Make me whole. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And so you get saved. That's the first step. The second step is when you discover this relationship with God is so valuable and you begin to say, Lord, I want you in the center of everything I do. 
I want you in the center of my finances. I want you in the center of my job. I want you in the center of my family. I want you in the center of everything I do, right? And that's a good place to be. That's, that's a mature place to be. But in this mature place, in this walk, that all of a sudden we get to where it's about him, we leave that and we say, Lord, you know what? You've been, you've been in the center of everything I do, but now it's just time for me to be in the center of what you do. It's time for me to give up on me. And Lord, forget all that. Just place me in the center of your life. And I don't care what it looks like as long as I'm with you. This is what David is saying here. And I, I want you to catch this because this is really important. If you're asleep, wake up for this part right here and you can go back to sleep later, okay? But this is important. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, say he. He, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He, say he. he. He leads me beside still waters to restore my soul. Then he, say he. He, he walks me I walk down this path he leads me down this path of righteousness for his namesake and then he starts describing what it was like when I began to do this he said though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death <laughs> now by the way you can't have a shadow without light and so it's the light of God shining upon him and he's saying I'm dying there though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for what's the word you, hold on, I thought we were talking about God. This is the shift, church, right here. He goes from talking about God to all of a sudden he's talking to God. For you are with me. It's your rod and it's your staff that comfort me. I may be confused. I may be worried. I may be living in fear. There's something in me that's dying, but I have shifted where I talk about God sometimes, but now I talk to God. Lord, let us be found talking to you more than we do talking about you. Do you see the shift? And as soon as he shifts and he says, okay, I don't know where we're going. I don't know what we're doing, but I'm not going to be afraid. I know I'm dying so that you can live, but I've got my eyes fixed straight ahead. And I'm looking at you and I see that your rod is with you. Your staff is with you. That rod is what counts me as your child. That staff is what rescues me when I get off into the fields. When I, when I get messed up, you can come and you can pluck me out of danger. So I'm not going to be afraid. It's all about you at this point in time, God. Let's go. Let's walk. I'm following you. Amen? Yes. And then... <laughs> In the middle of this moment when you've decided your life is going to be lived for his glory, he stops everything and says, let's have dinner. Let's have dinner. He prepares a table for whom? Me. I thought it was about him. He prepares a table for me, and this is the best part, in the presence of my enemies. <laughs> You see, guys, when you decide that your life is going to be lived for his glory, when you decide it's all about you, God, that's when you discover that he is all about you. Oh, you didn't get it. My goodness, you didn't get it. That's a good thing. Listen to me. God's all about you. And he stops everything. He says, I'm going to prepare dinner. I'm going to set up a table, and it's just going to be for you. And so I watch as he prepares this table, and I'm step, stepping back watching as he prepares a table. And, and I look in, and I, and I see that the table has everything for me that I like. 
I mean, it's got a big bowl of guacamole right over here. I mean, my goodness. And, and it's got a big old thing of queso right over here. That's how I got to where I look like now. It's like all this queso. And, and, and then it's got steak and, and mashed. Everything that I, oh, bluebell ice cream. He's got a big bowl of bluebell ice cream on. And I'm thinking, this is all for me. And then I look a little closer, and there's a big bowl of love. There's a huge bowl of forgiveness. There's a bowl of mercy. There's a bowl of acceptance. And it's all for me. And, and the king of kings gets up from the head of the table and he pulls the chair out and says, come on, David, sit down. Now, here's the big deal. I have to come sit down. I have to take my place at the table. And everything in you says you don't belong there. You're not worthy to be there. And so it's the moment of decision. Do I come and do I sit down? All of my enemies are here. They know who I am. They know what I'm capable of. They know I don't belong there. But, man, I got the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods saying, come sit. This is your place. This is your dinner. Come. See, that's the moment of decision that God calls us to take that next step. And to trust him and come into the family. This was years ago, but we, uh, my kids came in, and they, and they were younger then. But they came in, and they said, Dad, there's a dog out in, out in the front yard. Can we keep him? And so I look outside. This is the ugliest, mangiest, nastiest dog you could ever have seen in your entire life. I mean, who knows what kind of disease this dog has. And so I'm looking at him going, oh, Honey, I don't think that thing should be in our house. And so I, I kind of tell the kids, okay, if you can get him in the house, then maybe we'll clean him up and see who he belongs to. But he's very skittish. He wouldn't let them come close to him. And so they start throwing breadcrumbs on the sidewalk, and the dog would come and get the breadcrumbs and run off. And they kept bringing the breadcrumbs closer and closer, and on the front porch they put some, and he, he would run up kind of nervous and grab the bread and run away. And then they put one right on the inside of the door. And I watched this dog walk up real cautiously and look around, and he's trying to make a decision. Do I come into the house or do I stay out here? Because out here I know. He, he would look around, he would see there's some bushes over there that I can get into when I'm in trouble. Uh, there, there's some covering I can get into over here when the storm gets. I know what's going on out here, but I don't really know what happens in there. Now, he didn't know that as soon as he came in, he's probably going to get a bath. He's going to have great food. He's going to be sleeping more than my, one of my kids, I'm sure, that night in a comfortable bed. But he didn't know that. So he's got to take that next step. And he just kept itching on and inching into it. And finally, he just takes off and he never comes in. Don't let that be you. Come into the house of the Lord. And so you, you, you slowly say, okay. And you come in and you know you don't belong here. You know you aren't worthy of this, but you sit down at the table. And you, you, you kind of look around like, man, what should I do here? Have you ever been to, well, I'll tell you this. I, I, my, my, wife, my wife and I did this one time. But have you ever taken your, your wife, guys, or, or your daughter maybe to a really nice, expensive, very expensive, like top dollar steakhouse? Right? We went there one time, and this was, we were very young, and I just wanted to impress her. I said, honey, let's go to this nice place. It's really nice. I didn't have any money, but let's go. And I get there, and she loves it. Man, the ambiance is great. And I open up the menu, and I look at the prices, and I went, oh, Lord. 
honey, do you like it in here? She goes, yeah. I said, good, because we're going to have water and salad and hope we can get out from under $100, you know, with water and salad, one of those things, right? And so it's like I couldn't afford it. And the, the waiter comes over, and I tell him, hey, we'll have water and salad. We're just here talking. I'm scared to death. He leaves. And then he comes back. You know, now this is you. And then he comes back, and he says, oh, I forgot to tell you, someone's already paid for your entire meal. What would you do? I'd say, bring that menu back here for just a second. I want to look at that, right? Have you ever paid for a dinner for someone and they didn't finish it or they didn't eat it? It's kind of insulting, isn't it? It's like I paid for dinner and you didn't even eat it. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of Gods paid with his own blood for the dinner at the table. And he says, come and eat. It's all yours. But you have to come take your place. When everything inside of you is saying, no, you don't belong there. So I come and I sit down as David's talking, and, and I just take kind of a small scoop of mercy because, man, I need mercy. I take a little bit of forgiveness, knowing I need a lot of it. I just take a little bit. I take a little bit of love. I take a little bit of acceptance, and I put it on my plate. And then I notice that the bowls, it's like I didn't take anything out of them at all. They just filled back up again. So I said, well, that's interesting. I'll take a little bit more and a little bit more. And they just keep filling back up. And all of a sudden, I'm pouring the bowls out on top of me, my, my love, the mercy that I need, the forgiveness that I need, the acceptance that I need. And that's when I discovered that God will never run out of who he is. He will never run out of forgiveness. He will never run out of mercy. He will never run out of love. He will never run out of acceptance. You will never wear him out needing forgiveness. So come to the table and just eat. Enjoy what the Lord has got for you. When you begin to think, what is it that God has for me? What, what is it that, that God wants to do for me? Lord, would you just do, and, and you start thinking with your human intellect, God, would you just, man, would you just not kill me? I mean, just, just don't, I, I mean, just, I'm, I appreciate you letting me be a part of the family, but we're, we're, we're embarrassed sometimes. We're nervous sometimes to ask the Lord for things. Um, years ago, the great uh, golfer Arnold Palmer, man, you guys know who he is? He got asked to go and play in an exhibition tournament in, in Saudi Arabia. The king asked him to come play. King sent down his jet, and Mr. Palmer said, absolutely, I'll go play. So he goes and he plays golf for three or four days with these guys, and at the end, the king says, thank you so much for coming and playing golf with us. Uh, I would like to give you a gift to say thank you. Mr. Palmer says, no, you don't have to do that. This was a blessing for me. You treated me like royalty. No, I'm good. He said, no, I insist. Of course, Mr. Palmer resists and says, you have, you've sent me your private jet. You've taken such good care of me. I don't need anything. The king says, you don't understand. It's my custom. I need to be able to say thank you. So Mr. Palmer says, okay, well, get me a golf club. The king says, done. So I want you to think about that. The king of Saudi Arabia just promised he's going to give you a golf club. So what is it going to look like? Let your imagination go. It's going to probably the shaft might be gold shaft, right? It may have the king's signia on the, the club head. Sorry, ladies, this is a men's analogy. But it, it may be there, and, and it may have your name etched in the gold. It's going to be nice, right? Come on. And so Mr. Palmer waits for two or three weeks, nothing. 
he's going, well, maybe it took time. Maybe he forgot, you know, and a month goes by, nothing. Six weeks later, he gets a certified letter in the mail. And he opens up the letter, and it is a deed of ownership to a golf club. Swimming pool, tennis courts, pro shop, restaurant, 18 holes. See, guys, kings don't think the way we think. He's so much farther. He's so much higher. He doesn't think the way we think. And we come and we think we're covered in shame. And we come to the table and we're, we're now, we're just saying, Lord, thank you for this. And in the middle of us just sitting at the table wondering why in the world am I here, the king gets up from the head of the table and he walks over and he anoints my head with oil and my cup begins to run over. And he puts his hands on my shoulder and he says, I want everyone to know in the presence of this man's enemies that this is my beloved child and who I am well pleased. Can you imagine? This is what David is trying to describe to us. He just, he came over in the presence of my enemies and, and at the table that he had set for me and he began to just lavish me with his love. And, and he's looking at the, all the things that are at the table and he says, surely, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. So I'm going to make a decision right now that I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh, and to think when we first started, he had to make me to lie down. <laughs> do, do you see how it follows? And you get to that place towards the end of your life and you're going, his goodness, his mercy, his love, they have chased me my entire life. I look ahead sometimes and there's just not enough provision, there's not enough time, there's not enough whatever, and I look back and there's always been plenty because he's never left me, he's never forsaken me. So, so where does that leave you in your hearts? Would you trust him? Would you take that next step and come to the table? Would you take what he's asking you to take in that next step? Maybe it's because you, you, don't, you don't know if he... he can. I know that sounds kind of odd, but sometimes we get in our, our mind's eye this God mentality that, well, he, he's just probably not really big enough to do what I need done in my life. I, I know what I've done in the past. Uh, I'll tell you, this, this was an interesting dynamic. My son and I, my son is an interesting individual. He went to college to study theoretical physics. I can't even hardly say theoretical physics. Um, so highly intelligent. Him and I were just sitting at the, 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 in the living room watching a documentary. And in this documentary, they said there's, they discovered stars that were 300 million light years away. And so I just said, man, I wonder how far that is. You know, you're just talking. And then so my mathematical son says this. He says, well, Dad, he says light travels at 186,000 miles a second. There's 31,556 seconds in a year. At 186,000 times 31,556,000 seconds, then light travels 5.88 trillion miles in one year. And I'm just looking at him. He says, so if you want to know how far the stars are, just multiply 5.88 trillion by 300 million. I said, son, it was rhetorical. I didn't really need... He says, let me put it in, 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 in a... He was talking down to me. Let me put it in terms you know, Dad. 
He says, the space shuttle is the fastest thing we have, the, the fastest vehicle. At top speed in space, it'll travel 25,000 miles an hour. If you get the space shuttle up and you point it to those stars, in 6,000 years, it will not be a quarter of the way there. Is God big enough to handle my light bill? <laughs> To handle my child, to handle my marriage, to handle my grandchild? Is he big enough? He is big enough. Is he good enough? He is good enough. But what you do sometimes, and I, and I do this same thing, is you, you start thinking, yep, he's big enough. Yes, he is able. But the big question that comes in our brain is, will he do it for me? And, and you see... I'm always afraid that, and then just fill in the blank. Come on now. I'm always afraid that this is going to happen, whatever that is. And we, we default to that. I'm afraid that I'm not going to have enough money. I'm afraid that I'm, I'm not going to have enough time. I'm afraid whatever it is, I'm afraid, fill it in. And see, fear is the belief that something is about to happen. Amen? Say that with me. Fear is the belief that something is about to happen. Here's an interesting dynamic. Faith is the belief that something's about to happen. The only difference is the object of your belief. And so I always default to fear. And I, and I went to the Lord about this. And I said, God, what, what is it? Why, why do I just default to fear? And he said, David, it's because you don't think you're good enough for me to show up for. <laughs> you got that right. I mean, I know my mind. I know what I've done in my past. I know the sin that's in my basement. I know what, what terrible things I've done. So he would have a right not to show up for me. I mean, he'll show up for Pastor Mark. I mean, Mark's a saint. He walks on water, you know, and all that. He'll show up for Pastor Robert. He'll show up for all these other great people. But come on, this is me. Are you hearing me? So you have a right not to show up for me, God, because I'm, I'm pretty bad. And this is what he told me. He said, I, I understand, David. So what I did on the cross just wasn't enough for you. You need to be punished just a little bit more than my son was punished. Well, no, Lord. Then accept what's been done for you. And let's move on down the road. Because it's not that I'm, I'm, I'm going to show up. It's that I already have. <laughs> I showed up. At the appointed time, church, the King of kings and the Lord of lords got up off of his heavenly throne. He took off his kingly robe. He entered this world through the birth canal of a virgin into the calloused hands of a carpenter. And he lived a life for 30 years to be about his father's business under the shadows of a carpenter's shed. But that, mo that moment... When God the Father gave him his nod, he stepped out of the shadows into the sunlight to be the son of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And at that moment, he took on my sin. He took on your sins. I don't care how dirty you are. I don't care how nasty you are. I don't care what you've done. It does not matter. He took it at the cross, and he died with that upon his spirit for you at the cross, dead and buried. That's not even the best part of the story. I mean, okay, I'm forgiven. Thank you for that. 
And I will continue to be forgiven. If I sin again, I will continue to be forgiven. But the real the reality is, after he took my sins and they were dead and buried in that tomb, on the third day, he says, let me show you that sin has no hold on me. And the stone was rolled away. And he come bursting forth from the grave saying, this is how we're going to live. In victory, in freedom, in power, in joy, in love, in acceptance. And all of this is found now in him, in me. I get to live beyond all that now. If I choose to come to the table. I'll close with this. Because it amazes me sometimes the way my brain can think that God's not going to show up. God's not going to move on my behalf. I've, I've done so many things wrong, you know. Are you, most of you men in here, are you all familiar with the promise keepers? Okay, y'all, some of you all have been, been to some of that. One of the biggest and last ones they had was in Washington, D.C., they say there were 1.2 million men that came to this thing. And there was a group from Chicago that came to this particular meeting. And when they came, they kind of got together and they said, Lord, we don't want to just come and receive. We want to bless somebody while we're there. And most of you may know, but Washington, D.C. has one of the largest homeless populations in the United States. So they thought maybe we could minister to some of the homeless while we were there. So they get there first night, they're going to a meeting, and they're cro crossing the street, and there's a homeless man up against a, a, a wall that he's kind of made his little home there. And they came up and they said, sir, uh, we're going to a meeting here tonight, and we would love for you to go with us. We'll pay for it. We'll also get you some new clothes. We'll get you some food. We'll put you in a hotel for a couple of nights. We'll take care of you for a little bit if you'll just go with us. Homeless guy says, sounds like a package to me. I'm, I'm in. Let's go. So they go, to the, they go to the meeting, and the first night, the speaker preaches the gospel, and the homeless guy gets saved. That's exactly what the guys from Chicago wanted. I mean, it was a win. But then right after he gets saved, he turns around to his new friends, and he says, guys, I want to go home. They said, well, where is home? He said, well, it's just a small town outside of Mobile, Alabama. You, you've never heard of it. But I, I want to go home. Because, see, once you turn your heart to God, something starts drawing you towards him. And once you start moving towards him, listen to me, he's already moving towards you. So the guys from Chicago said, well, let's just see if we can find somebody. 1.2 million men. Let's see if we can find somebody from Alabama. The next break, they're walking down the corridor, and there's a group of guys walking towards them, and they're wearing T-shirts that say, we're from Alabama. <laughs> Kid you not. So they walk up to him, are you guys from Alabama? Yeah, we're from Alabama, yeah. They said, hey, we got a friend here, he just got saved, and he wants to go back home, and he lives in Alabama. So they said, sir, where do you live? He says, well, it's just a small town outside of Mobile, you've, you've never heard of it. And, and he tells them the name of the town. 1.2 million men. They said, sir, that's the town that we're from. And then one of the guys in the meeting, in, in, the, in the group, said, wait a minute, sir, what did you say your name was? And he tells him his name, and he says, your son is with us, and he's been praying that he would find you while we were here. 1.2 million men cannot stop God from getting to you when you turn your heart towards him. Amen? Amen? Amen. Come on.